Hello, my name is Toby Haydock. I have watched Frontier in Space more times than I have created a favourable impression at a social function. But you know what? I don't really mind. I like draconians. Um, yeah, don't say that at social functions, by the way. Doesn't help with the whole favourable impression thing. Now, which story deserves a multi-interview, extra-lengthy, in-depth analysis from a disparate bevy of cast and crew? Because that's what I'm doing today. I know I'm only supposed to be getting one anecdote from each story, but I, I, I can't resist. So, uh, surely this first lengthy, epic podcast of interviews um, should be bestowed upon a true classic. What's that you say? The Web of Fear? <laughs> Not on your Nelly. Uh, who? What? The early missing classic Marco Polo. Hold your horses, not just at the moment. What's that? Ooh, Pole Topper, The Caves of Androzani. Yeah, yeah, no. That's just what you'd be expecting me to do. I've gone for the Keys of Marinus. So break out the rubber and let's take a trip. Well, that's what, that's what happens when you wear flippers. Everyone is treating about not going into work today because of the weather. Well, I start my day in Manchester, and I have to be in London for lunchtime to seek not one, but two victims. They both arrived in glass submersibles and were at the bar when I arrived. They hadn't brought any acid with them. Uh, that would have plagued their consciences. Oh, oh, hang on, there's no point being cryptic in the intro. You, you already know what the story is I've, I've just told you. All right, then. I was thrilled to meet a pair of Ford, if, if that's the correct correct root noun. A, a squelch of Ford. So, so, some Ford. Hello. Uh, uh, we're, we've, we've braved the snows of terror. We've, <laughs> we've made it uh, in, inside. Would you like to introduce yourself? Well, I'm in court. And I played um, monsters and ordinary human... Well, I wouldn't say ordinary. Heroic human beings in Doctor Who. You have indeed. I, you, I saved you, the world. You did. <laughs> we're, st we're still here, thanks to you. <laughs> and your colleague is... I'm Peter Stenson, and I played a monster encased in rubber. Uh, and, and keys of mariners. And a judge. And, and a nice warrior. I played indeed. You, you were sort of player's <laughs> cast, weren't you? Sort of, yes. Yeah. It was rather like it being in a repertory company, really, because we were able to play different characters within one series. And the delightful thing is, which I didn't know until we got here, I knew you were still in touch, but I didn't know that you actually met on Doctor Who and your firm friends to this day. That's right. Yeah. Well, we had to help each other into those rubber suits. Yeah. God, agony, agony, weren't they? God. And it was so hot. Do you remember how hot it was? Right. We were in um, those studios that don't exist anymore. Lime, Lime Grove. Lime Grove. Yeah, yeah. And I remember it was incredibly hot, and I was sweating. I didn't know what. It was coming. And my boots filled up with sweat. Do you remember that? <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, well, I, you know, and I was squelching around, and then they had a break and opened the scene dock doors to let some air in, and I took my rubber boots off. And I tipped them up, and sweat 
poured out of them. And um, there was a friendly cameraman. He, he put the camera on it so that everybody upstairs could see what we were suffering with. That, that was a nice thing because even all the, the rest of the cast came to find out how we were faring. Yeah. You had sweat pouring from the join in your suit, I remember. Yes. I don't think I had that much to lose at the time. I thought it was quite funny because I'd been a frogman when I was in the Navy, so I was quite used to rubber suits. <laughs> Was 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 that was that uh, asked of you before you took the part, no, or was no. that just a happy coincidence? <laughs> no, it was just a happy coincidence. And so, I mean, you were very early monsters for Doctor. In Terry Nation's previous monsters, the Daleks had taught, sort of taken the country by storm. So, did you have the same hope for the Vord? I didn't really know that no, they were no. going to be a, a new sort of monster at the time. Never entered my head. I don't know about you, Peter. I got very fed up with people who'd say, "Oh, you're, you're in Doctor Who. Are you playing the oh, Dalek?" I still do. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. No, we had rubber heads and hands and feet, especially webbed hands and feet. I might say, yeah. especially made for us. Um, what they forgot to do was make eye holes <laughs> where the eyes were in, in the heads, so all we could see when we looked through the eye holes were our webbed feet. <laughs> well, and one of you does famously, in shot, in the episode as it went out, one of you does have a little bit of a trip over the that set. That was me. That was you, Peter. <laughs> yes, and I used a very rude word, because I was sure they'd stop it and reshoot, and they never did. They just blipped the sound out and carried on filming. But I didn't work for the BBC for about 20 years after that. I mean, to say a rude word on children's television was absolutely not not allowed. You know. I I managed to walk the wrong side of the camera because as I <laughs> flip flopped my way across the studio floor, I missed where the camera was because I couldn't see it. All I could see was my feet, and they had to stop everything. In those days, <laughs> it was early recording. They couldn't go back, so they stopped everything. And I was led back and pushed the right side on the second take. Because <laughs> cutting the tape was incredibly expensive, so they hated yeah. doing it in those days. So the adrenaline of those early televisions must have been, you must be you know, flying by the seat oh, of yeah. your, in this case, rubber pants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And was it a friendly show to come on to, Doctor? And did you know, at the time, was Doctor Who becoming something that people talked about? No. No. No, it was totally unknown, really. I had seen the first episode and I'd been a fan um, when I was at school in um, one of the comic books where one of the characters, and it was Jimmy with his magic patch, went off into a, another era and I thought this was what Doctor Who was going to be like. Of course it turned out to be really even more extraordinary than that because we went to different planets and that sort of thing. But um, I had no idea this was what it was going to be like, to be in it. Yeah. But it was a good team. I mean, that was John Dory who directed yes. it, who, um, you know, was very good at making everything work and making the actors all get on well together. And the principals were nice. Yeah, so lovely. And it, it, was quite, it was quite grand, I mean... George um, Calouris. Calouris. Calouris yeah. flew over from, from America in order to do it because mm. he was actually quite a big star in America in those days. So and people like Raph Fallon, yeah. um, oh, I'm sorry, Raph de la Tour. De la Tour. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I said Raph Fallon. Mm. 
Okay. Yes, because yeah. you sat one side of him as a judge, yeah. presiding over a trial yeah. for a crime that you actually yeah. committed, Martin. Oh yes, I know it's terrible. <laughs> I just recently played played the um, episode to some friends from Spain, and they said, oh, "You're a nasty person." I said, well, "That's the character, you know." But it was not, that was a nice part for you because having been yes. you know encased in rubber, and then you spend one episode as a statue where you stand there with an axe. <laughs> yeah. I don't tell people about that. <laughs> well, it's, 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 it's down now. I know, it was very uncomfortable in that um, armour. Yes, and so what had John said? Had he just basically said, look, there are various parts over the six weeks. We're, we're just going to throw yeah. them at you as and when. Well, yes, it's yeah. the answer. Really. And we weren't there as extras. We had proper right. contracts. You know, I wouldn't have done it otherwise. No, no, proper credit. So, and I mean, you know, one still gets the odd repeat check, which is enough to buy a bottle of wine, and that's about <laughs> it. <laughs> a nice bottle of wine. Yes, yeah. Depends where they played it, doesn't it? Really? Yes, now, now it's all... Walter's not very proper. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, does that, is that, is that what happens? It depends on... So yeah. you get a thing through, and if it says Abu Dhabi, you that's go, right. oh, no, it's only going to yeah, be 20 Abu Dhabi would be all right. Oh, dear. Bits of Africa, you only get two and sixpence. <laughs> oh, the little minutiae of uh, contractual wrangling. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you mentioned to me, and you kindly, the reason we're here, Martin, is because you somehow got wind of my lunatic scheme and you sent me an email. Um, and you mentioned that you were due to play another part, but something got in the way. Was that That's right? That's right. Well, yeah. I, I've actually done some research on this, and I, I can't find out what other part I was due to play. But I was told it was going to be something to do with um, the anniversary of President Kennedy and I was going to play one of the leading roles so I asked um, if I could get out of one episode of Doctor Who and they were really good and let me off but I was due to play one of the soldiers that you played one of the mm, ice soldiers ice soldiers oh yeah because you're not in episode four in fact I'm thinking of Calling my biography, I should have been a nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's I. I got off, and um, in fact, the series or the uh, episode of the thing I was due to do um, didn't work out for me. So I went back and to continue to play in Doctor Who after that. In those days, it, you could do that sort of thing if um, your director was amiable. Ah, so that well, that explains why, even though you do all these ensemble parts, you're not one of the ice soldiers, whereas you are, mm. Peter. Yes, yes, I did step in for it, didn't I? Did mm. You did, took and, your, and did it your part for you. Yes. And, and how was it playing an ice soldier? <laughs> I think I rattled a bit. <laughs> uh, and you, you mentioned John Gorry. Did you work with John before? I had at drama school, and John was one of our directors at drama school. I went to Lambda, London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art, and John was one of our directors there. He's always said in interviews he, he was a bit disappointed to be given Doctor Who because he'd wanted to do, and indeed went on to do, more prestigious stuff, as it were, costume yeah. dramas and Edward the Seventh and things like that. So did, did he give that impression when he was doing it, or was it, was it no, uh, no. work hard and do the best? Yes, it was that sort of feeling. No, John, uh, I knew John was capable of much more than that, if you like, but um, you just do what your 
asked to do really is I'm I've always said this is true it, there is an element of money as far as when you're a young actor yeah there was a new series we had no idea what was going to happen so yes it was a job and you did the job it turns out to have been an historic yeah. moment really for us well, John was an actor, you see, when I met him, and I was touring in a production of The Winter's Tale with me as an actor and John as an actor, and Eileen Atkins playing Perdita, the first time she'd ever played someone her own age. <laughs> she always played old ladies up until then. <laughs> so that was quite, quite fun, really. I was in a series called Emergency Ward 10, rather briefly, which... Uh, all I can remember about it was that as I was about to make my first entrance with the other actor, as we were going on, and it was filmed live in those days, as we went on, he said, just think, 18 million people are watching this. <laughs> really <laughs> my, my first television was with Rediffusion, and it was a thing called Boyd QC with um, Michael, Michael Denison. Michael yeah. And uh, I was terrified. I'd, I'd met um, John Laurie in the um, makeup room, and he, I w he could see I was nervous, you know. And he started chatting to me and quieting me down. He was really nice, and uh, I never, never forgot that. I was able to repay the compliment, if you like, because later on I was friendly with John Lemesh and. Um, Arthur Lowe and I used to go and see the Dad's Army things and towards the end um, John Laurie unfortunately he was becoming very old and a bit forgetful and he, I was able to say to him look you know you helped me tremendously a long time ago I'd rather come and see you even though you might be forgetting a bit you know on television it doesn't matter you can easily cut it out he said thank you laddie you know, oh. so it was really good well, and of course, William Hartnell was, was known for not being 100% on, oh, on his lines. Yes. What do you remember of him? Well, he was kind of really bad-tempered, but I think he was going through a very bad time, you know, because he had such a wonderful career and done so many marvellous things. Then suddenly here at the end of his life, he was known for doing a children's television series. I think he should have been very grateful because to have a big success like that especially at the end of your life, it's really rather wonderful. But he resented it, and I didn't really understand, I suppose it was the beginnings of dementia or something, but he could not learn his lines. He had a really bad time, and it was just made life so unbearable for him, and I totally sympathise with him now, you know. <laughs> it's beginning to happen to me a bit. But, um, so he... He was isolated from us, wasn't he? Yes, he, he didn't mix in or, or blend in with, with uh, the groups. I think because every spare minute he was trying to learn the lines, I think. So you, you lot, you monsters, you all sort of got on thick as thieves then, and this is oh, the yes. beginning of your 49-year <laughs> friendship. Absolutely right. And, and we got on with the rest of the cast. and They were lovely to us, and yes. we ended up playing games in between takes and that sort of thing. So there was no problem with that. But Bill was always, always by himself and always yeah. separate. And sometimes they held him back to retake. Well, we were going off and thinking, oh God, you know, poor old sod. He's left to have to do these retakes. 
Mind you, it did give him a sort of authority, you know, the fact that he was slightly distant from us, which meant that everybody was very careful all round him, which is True. kind of quite a good thing if you're playing that sort of part. And you've got some interesting actors there as well, Fiona Walker and Don oh, Pickering. Oh, lovely, wasn't My she? wife. Yeah, you, you slapped her. <laughs> I did. Well, no, I didn't really, but yes, you heard me slap her. Yeah, <laughs> a radio slap. I yes. bumped into her the other day, funnily enough. Yes. It's still looking terrific. And uh, Stephen Darknell played you, came in to play your yeah. the leader of the Vaud at the end. Yeah. Jackie was lovely. Jacqueline Hill. Yes. Oh, she was lovely. Jackie. And uh, every time there was a break, she was on the telephone. Yeah. And I thought, what is going on here? And eventually I happened to overhear. She was talking to her broker because she was buying and selling shares all the time. <laughs> she was doing Oh, it. that's a new one. We've never had that before. Oh, that's, really? a, that's a brand new uh, <laughs> Doctor Who personnel no, fact. I don't know whether we should allow that to go. Oh, I'm sure it'll be fine. It's all ancient history now. Yes. Um, and uh, you came back, uh, Martin, to do battle with Patrick Tratton, and this time not Ice Soldiers, but Ice Warriors. Uh, in what looked like it was going to be a very promising part but then you were too brave in the seeds of death and got shot at the end of episode one True. although you do come back in episode two and you get to reenact your death so you get an extra episode for yeah, you for absolutely. that very much do you know how grateful I was for that I didn't realise that was going to happen but it's true I, I got a double feed there Patrick Troughton I found was lovely as far as I was concerned it was a big change from Bill um I remember on one occasion, I can't remember who the director was now, Stranger. Michael Ferguson. Was it? Well, he decided that after rehearsing, which we used to have in those days, rehearsals, um, two or three days, he had to liven us up. And he said to us, now I want to do a run now, and I want you all to send it up. And Patrick Troughton said, well, what the hell do you think I've been doing for the last <laughs> And we all laughed, of course. But um, he, yeah, he wasn't really sending up. He meant heighten it, and that's what we were doing. And uh, it was very interesting to do that. The, the only thing I can remember what, uh, about it, out of context with everything else, is that I had a badge, and it said um, TMAT on it, because this was a system whereby, which I think the Americans stole from us, really, of, of being sort of, um, of transported to another place. All our molecules disappeared and reconstituted um, again. And my father said to me, have you anything that you can bring me from Doctor Who? Because there's this little boy who's got leukemia and um, I'd like to give him something. He watches Doctor Who. And I stole the badge and I sent it to him. I don't know what happened afterwards, but um, I sort of, I'd always think, oh, maybe it gave him a bit of, sort yeah. of comfort or whatever. And um, I've never seen the badge again, not even on the takes. It was a, a nice thought that he had. Absolutely, that badge. absolutely. And um, we were talking before we started, that's another good cast. Doctor always gets good casts. Um, you, uh, Terry Scully gives a great performance oh, yeah. in that oh, he does, story. Yeah. I always admired Terry. Um, he was my boss in it, I think, and uh, we had a slight contretemps because he wouldn't listen to me. I knew what should be going on with the, on the moon, and 
he disagreed with me. Well, you were being brave and he was being cowardly. <laughs> he, was, he was being a typical Terry Scully performance of being sort of slightly nervy yes. and on edge. Yes, he was very twitchy. <laughs> very twitchy. And uh, your boss boss was Harry Tao, who came in for one episode oh, yes, and got yes. killed, which is unusual. Yes. You know, not like George Kaloris, that's you know, an actor yeah. with, with quite status just coming in for one episode. Absolutely right. Another lovely man he was. Um, it's in interesting because, of course, I watched as a kid, I watched um, Harry Taub on dozens of programmes on television before that and films. Um, so it was really exciting to work with someone like that. And, uh, and this time you weren't in the latex. Alan Bennion was in the latex <laughs> coming to, to kill you as the ice warrior. Well, we had those, but we did have the forerunner of the, what I would say the tracksuits are now. <laughs> yes. We had to be measured for them. I don't know what material um, they were, but um, it went right up to the neck and all the way down. I can't even remember if there was a long zip or anything. got a feeling they were in two parts, but it was like a tracksuit. Not a look that, that caught on. Uh, well, and here we are talking about Doctor Who after all these years. I mean, is it as, as actors that have had a long uh, uh, and, you know, very busy and very eclectic and probably more distinguished than the six weeks you did in 1964. The fact that it's this that I've, I've sort of uh, grabbed you for, and I know that you've done conventions, and you did the video, which I loved, I Was a Doctor Who Monster, but in which they transpose your names yes. so that Martin becomes Peter and Peter becomes Martin. I've always said he stole all my work after that. So, so every job they, they every always job. thought they were booking Martin Court when they got me <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you obviously don't mind because you, you, you got in touch but is it, is it slightly strange being asked to revisit you know what was a six weeks job for a very unknown television programme 49 years ago no because it is whatever you say it's one of the most notable things that both of us have done I think um, you know, they'll forget perhaps Ballet for All, they'll forget Peter's play, but Doctor Who's still going on, and we still get fan mail. Yeah. Mind you, we don't look the same now, so we have to send them the old photographs. Yes, I never know what to do when they ask for a photograph, to send them the current one, which will frighten the hell out of them, <laughs> or uh, send them a really old one where yes. I'm young and pretty, you know. <laughs> or you could always send them the one of you in rubber. Oh, yes. Yeah. Aren't enough of this. My, my agent actually did that. He sent a copy of that photograph to the National Papers with my name underneath. So I, I might have been Peter as far as I know. Yes, the, the, you, you actually did get a little bit of press attention at oh, the time, yeah. didn't yeah. you? There's, there's newspaper cuttings of yeah. the, you know, the next big the next big monster and you've both got a bit of profile so that's just agents trying to get their their clients oh, in the spotlight a bit PR from from the uh, from the beam yeah as well yeah it's true well um, I've I've exceeded my time that I promised to take of yours so I'm going to say thank you gentlemen I'm going to ask you two things uh, the first is um, because you're not getting paid and because I'm not getting paid and because the listeners of this are downloading it for free what we do is we ask them to if they've enjoyed it donate a quid or a couple of quid to a charity that is nominated by my victims. So if you have a charity that is dear to your heart, gentlemen, if you'd like to mention it now. Well, the YMCA is my favourite charity, but I don't know whether you actually donated. It's time that the YMCA wants rather than money. So they want volunteers to do things. My, mine is pretty obvious. I've had cancer 
and I've had three cancer operations, so please can you send to cancer research anything that you can. So gentlemen, all I ask now is uh, flippant or serious, whatever you like, what is your message to Doctor Who fans on this? It's 50th year. Keep hoovering. <laughs> there we go. That's can't, it. Can't improve on <laughs> Peter Stenson and Martin Court, thank you gentlemen very much for your time. Thank you. Now, by rights, I should be able to take a holiday during this middle instalment of the podcast and let somebody else shoulder all of the action. But unfortunately, um, as regulars go on this project, there's, um, there's only me. Oh well, hopefully when we come to do the Reign of Terror, they'll get someone to dress as me and podcast from some poplar trees in Denham. Or maybe, maybe later on Edward D'Souza can come in and just do the podcast for one week only. Till then, though, I shall soldier on to the charming flat of uh, a key player. Oh, I, 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 I actually that wasn't supposed to be a pun. I just wanted to say it was a key player, but in the series, I, oh God, I do it even when I don't want to. Over to this person. Well, my name is John Gorey, and uh, I directed a six-part uh, story in, in the spring of 64 called The Keys of Marinus. Um, it, was, uh, it, was a, it was a good, good, good idea. I, 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 when I was first asked to, to do Doctor Who, I, uh, Verity Lambert, who was the original producer, came into my office. I was doing something else and said, uh, I want you to do a Doctor Who for me. And I said, oh, I couldn't possibly do that. And she said, why not? And I said, because I don't dig science fiction. I'm not, I'm, it's not my bag at all. And she said, nevertheless, I want you to do a Doctor Who for me. And I said, oh, you know. And I had to do as I was told, because I was under contract to, to uh, direct as cast, as it were. I mean, if, if that was the deal. After you'd done the, the director's course, which I did for three months, whatever it was, um, you, they could take a, an option on you for two years and you did what they told you to do. Um, I was officially put into something called plays department because in those days the BBC had drama had three departments, plays, ser series and serials. Doctor Who was a serial. So I was on loan from plays department uh, because they couldn't, they didn't have a play for me to do. And I kept thinking one of these days, please God, let there be a play for me to do because that's really what I want to do. Um, and happily there was actually quite soon after Doctor Who but I, I had to do what I was told so I with a slightly sinking heart um, agreed to do it and uh, in fact of course as is always the way with these things thoroughly enjoyed it I mean I, I had a lovely time and everybody, we had great fun doing it it was very hard work because of the, the, the size of the studio it was a tiny tiny studio and there wasn't really room for the sets and you couldn't really move the camera very much um, but it was great fun and uh there we go. Well, and the need to get started in television seems to have been a common theme with the people working in Doctor Who in that first year. Um, yourself, Christopher Barry, Richard Martin, mm. Warris Hussain, all sort of hungry young directors yeah, yeah. Who, who were being given this sort yeah. of experimental yeah, exactly, show. Exactly, exactly. But, but if, if, if you see, I mean, Richard, is, uh, Richard, I know he was on the course with me, and uh, he's, I think he's still with us. Mm. Um, yes, indeed. Um, 
and Boris is still with us and uh, all those people and if, and if we were still in there directing that would be less jobs for other people and I just think it's good to step back and say okay I've, I've done 40 years uh, do something else I don't know whatever and you revisited and you were before before we um, switched the recording on you were saying that you know your revisit of the keys of Marius prior to this came when the DVD came out and they sent you a tape and you had initially said you, you didn't want to do it <laughs> well I looked at I, 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 I yeah I they sent me this tape because they said oh please set, uh, do do the commentary and I said no 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 and they said well we'll send you a tape because my first reason for not doing it was I said I can't remember a thing about it I hardly I mean I, I wouldn't know what to say and they said well it's not like that John we'll send you a tape you can watch the tape and then you come in and talk about talk talk it through um, and I said oh do I have to and they said oh well yes alright come on do it so they sent me a tape and I then said when they rang me again said well what do you think I said I think one of the worst things I've ever seen. You know, it's just <laughs> dreadful uh, because the camera—it's—it's it's, the acting's fine. I'm not quarrelling with that, but I said it's just badly directed. It's static and it doesn't—the camera doesn't move very much. And uh, I was really ashamed of it. And I said, I'm—I can't come in and say I, you know, how lovely it all is when I think it's not very good. Um, and uh, as I say, I, w I finally said, Oh, all right, I will think. You don't be pompous. Get on, do it. If that's what they want, if it helps them, go and do it. And uh, met Ray Cusick, who reminded me that there was no way we could move the camera because each episode had about six different sets, and we were in this tiny studio, and the sets there wasn't room for six sets in the studio, which meant that each set had to be very small. Which meant that you, if you moved the camera much in any direction, you were on the next set. I mean, <laughs> that's how, how it worked. Uh, I think it was because they didn't. Doctor Who in those days was not the wonderful, highly rated, sort of charismatic program that it is now. It was just a small children's thing that, that they thought might be a good idea to, you know, do for a bit. But it just took off. I'm, I'm interested in your attitude towards um, youth because if you look at that cast, um, there's a lot of people who you give quite a good telly break to who hadn't done a lot of telly. Catherine Schofield gets an introducing credit in the Radio Times. Well, Catherine was a student from Lambda. I taught Catherine at Lambda. Uh, she was a very beautiful girl, um, very beautiful girl. Um, I don't know what's happened to her. She died. She died mm. about 15 years ago. She had cancer. Oh, God. Um, but she was a very beautiful girl, and I taught her at Lambda. And I... I thought, well, the most important thing about this particular character is she, it must be beautiful. I, I thought, was, is that the one with Robin Phillips? In it? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, uh, Robin and she played a sort of prince and princess. I mean, That's I can't, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I thought, well, I want them to look fairy tale. I just want. And Robin, in those days, looked like a fairy tale prince. I mean, that's what he looked like. He was everybody's idea of what Prince Charming looks like in the fairy tale books. And she was a stunningly beautiful blonde girl. And I thought, right, Catherine and Robin. So that's what. And Robin was a friend of mine anyway. Because Robin, uh, Robin actually was responsible for getting into Bristol when I was an actor, because I knew him as an actor, and he knew I wanted to get to Bristol and he was there, and he was the sort of assistant director to John Hale, who was the, the main director. And uh, I didn't know at the time, but when I did my audition, I've since learned that Robin just said to John Hale, "Yeah, have him." Oh, <laughs> so. And Robin, of course, went on to direct. Oh yes, he then became a director, and he's been, but he lives in Canada now. He doesn't. I think he came over here, but he didn't like it, so he went back. 
<laughs> and and but the rest of the cast, interesting. There were people like Henley Thomas. Yeah, Henley. Uh, Henley was in a play for me very early up. I think even before I'd done Doctor Who. Um, he might have even been in Compact because I did a before Doctor Who. I did, yeah. did Compact, and anyway, I liked him enormously, and I thought he was a good little actor. Um, no, there were loads of young people. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, on on the same um, stream as this, um, I've had a chat to a couple of Vord, Martin Court, and Peter Stenson. <laughs> well, Peter Peter was an, a mate. Uh, Peter Stenson had been on a on an Arts Council tour with me when I was an actor uh, of The Winter's Tale, uh, directed by Toby Robertson. Um, Indeed, with no less a person than Dame Eileen Atkins playing Perdita, which was where I met Eileen, who's now one of my closest friends. Um, and uh, we toured all over the country. And Peter was ASM and small parts, if you see what I mean. And therefore, I knew Peter from that, and I knew he was, you know, what, around. So I said, "Why don't you come and play a board?" The, the terrible thing was with the boards. And Martin, I came, anyway, I can't remember how Martin caught. I came across Martin, but anyway. There we were, because in those days you, the directors did the casting. You, there was no, you didn't have a casting director at the BBC. You did the casting, and you rang something called a booking agent and said, "I want X, Y, and Z." And they said, "Either you, you can or you can't." Um, indeed, on one occasion, I said, "I want." Uh, I think it was yes, it was Joss Ackram for a play called *The Good Shoemaker and the Poor Fish Peddler* about Sacco and Vansetti. And the booking people said. Um, Right, and then they came. Uh, Joss rang me and said, "Look, I want to do your play, but I've been offered another play by ITV, and they're paying me twice the money the BBC are offering. Could you up yours?" He said, "I've got five kids, you know, uh, and I really need the money. Um, if you upped yours by a hundred quid, is that all right? I'll do yours because I much prefer your play to the one I've, you know." And so I said, "I got on to booking people. And I said, look, 'Look, you've got to up it by a hundred quid.'" And they said, "No, we won't. We can't." And I said, if I tell you that second choice actor, an actor called John Barry, who's an equally good actor, uh, is going to cost you more again than Joss Ackland's fee plus a hundred pounds, in other words, it's going to cost you more finally if I have John Barry. They said, it doesn't matter. They said, what we can't do is up someone's fee by a huge percentage suddenly. We can't do that. We're not allowed to do that, which I see their point. They said, because it affects all the other directors. Because listeners might not know, but if you work for the BBC, or certainly in those days, every time you came back, your fee went incrementally well, up. Yeah, absolutely. It? Yeah, a bit. So anyway, um, we had John Barry, who cost them about twice as much as Joss Hackman would have cost them, plus £100. So I had him. But that was how it worked. You, 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 you rang the bookings people and said who you wanted. Um, but no, the boards, uh, it, it was a very, very hot... The, the day we filmed the boards in Lime Grove was baking hot. And one of them, I don't know if it was Martin or Peter, might have been, uh, fainted inside the suit. And suddenly this board crumpled up. <laughs> and we said, my God, who, you couldn't tell who it was. You'd have to sort of take the mask off and find out who, who it was under the mask. Well, being encased in rubber is not ideal. No, absolutely. No. They, I can remember one of them crumpled up and fainted and we had to revive him and get him round. Well, and you, you've started a precedent, and it's, it would be interesting to see if, it, if, if they do it this year. I suspect they won't, because Fiona Walker, who I think it was her first television, yes, it was. then 25 years later, on Doctor Who's 25th anniversary, played the lead villainess in the 25th anniversary Doctor Who celebratory story. Well, Fiona wrote me a letter. 
I got as, as one did in those days, and I I tended to try and when you start in the business you try and do it right, and I try, I tended to try and read all the letters that actors sent. Fiona wrote me a letter saying, "This is ridiculous. I'm not working, and I'm far too good an actress not to be working." <laughs> so I thought, "Oh, I quite like that letter." So I said, "Okay, fine, come in and see me." So she came in, and there there we were. Off she went. We I gave her the part, and uh, now we've been. She, met, she then later on married Herbie Wise, who was mm. a fellow director. Um, but that was, I think, her first, her first television, um, as far as I can remember. And now, indeed, uh, her daughter, Susanna Wise, I teach with at uh, my drama school, where I teach. Well, it's, a, it's funny how small a world it is, because, and also because, um, seeing as there's a great pool of talent to choose from, even then, Stephen Dartnell, who you bring in to play Yartek, mm. leader of the Alien Vord, a few weeks later, he's in Doctor Who again in six episodes, and you can see his face, and he's the sort of main supporting role. He's a very, very good actor. Yeah. He? he was a lovely actor. Um, I just I must have known his work somehow, or I don't know, met him socially, whatever, but I just thought, no, he's interesting, and uh, that's why I cast him. He did a lot of quite um, near the knuckle theatre, didn't he? Sort of political yeah, theatre. Yeah, he, 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 was, he was, but we were all a bit into political theatre in those days. It was the beginning of the Royal Court and all that stuff, and looked back in anger, and which then seemed to be a most amazingly revolutionary type play. But of course, now, I think now it seems a bit tame, but there you go. But is that its fault, or just the, time, the, the changing times? Changing times. Yeah. Oh, no, not its fault at all. I mean, it's. I do think it's slightly over-sentimental, if I'm honest, but that's just me. I mean, I hate all that stuff about squirrels and bunnies and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but a lot of it's very good. The, 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 uh, the diatribes that, that Jimmy Porter does are wonderful. I mean, he was, he was best at diatribes, as you know if you read the, the John Osborne autobiography. Yes, which are very grumpy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just a chapter on Jill Bennett is oh, yeah. one of the nastiest things I've ever read. Well, I think it's the nastiest thing I've ever read. I, it, it's just so full of hatred. Briefly back to, to Doctor, because we've talked about these, but you, you, for one week only, George Kalouris nips in. Well, you see, George had been in the company at the Bristol Old Vic when I was a kid at, uh, at school, and I had seen him act, and I liked his work very much, and I, there was this old sort of wizard person, and I thought, I wonder if I could get George Kalouris. So I rang the agent, and I said, would he be interested? Yeah, fine. Done. But that, but that was why I got George. Don't ask, seen, you don't get. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Well, no, that, that's, yes, absolutely. You should always, you should always aim high, if you see what I mean. Um, I, the, the, the music on The Keys of Marinus is by Norman Kay. Yeah. Um, and I, it's quite beguiling. It's, it's very no, strange, he was, isn't he was, it? He was good, Norman. He was a, a good composer. I, I liked his work a lot, I remember. Yeah, well... Well, it's interesting that something like Doctor Who, is what, what marks it out from back in the day, is that, yes, you'll direct one week, then Mervyn Pinfield will direct a few weeks later, mm. and it's a completely different kettle mm. fish because he was very much of the old school, and, you know, you think you had no camera movement, he's got very long static scenes. Mm. But that meant that you can identify when Douglas Camfield comes in, suddenly you've got yeah. all these action scenes. Oh, Doug was a good, fine director. So, Very good director. So Doctor Who fans can sort of identify a director's work, whereas television now... Well, I hope they don't... Identify <laughs> my work by the keys of Marinus, but well, that's because, because you never did another. Well, I know, but well, no, because I was whipped off to plays department. You see, I was never, I, w I was officially in plays. Uh, Richard Martin was in serials, and Bill Hayes, who was the other person on the course with us, was in series. Series. He did lots of Z cars. Um, I did single plays. You see, that that 
it was all to do with the fact that on the course I had done an exercise of such dazzling intellectuality, I don't think even I understood it. Uh, it was a Margaret Duras play which very few people understood and they thought, oh, obviously he's very deep this one, we better put him in play. Um, but it was sheer chutzpah, I mean it was, I didn't know what it meant, but you know, it was all terribly sort of avant-garde and strange. Uh, and I think they were so impressed by the sort of, I don't know, intellectuality of what I was doing, they thought we'd better stick him in place. So that's how I got him in place. And Bill, Bill had done a sort of cops and robbers thing, so they put him in Z-Cars. And Richard had done a sort of fantasy thing, so they put him in Stuck him in, in Doctor Who. Yeah. Verity Lambert was, you know, it was her first producing job. She'd mm. been a PA. She went on to have this huge, illustrious career. Was she then the producer that she became, or did yes. she have to grow into the part? No. no. No, she was she was pretty cool right from the start. I I love Verity dearly. Um, no, I thought she was pretty cool right from the word go, and knew what she wanted, and was going to get it. Uh, you know. And did you have much uh, to do with Sidney Newman? Was he a presence in those early years? He was a presence, but only a presence. I never met him. Oh, really? No. Um, you knew he was there, and he was. He did the most amazing things that wouldn't you wouldn't nobody would dream of doing now. Like one day, I think he said, "We're well, going to do the city of Mahagoni." Well, can you imagine anybody at the BBC now saying we're going to do the city of Mahagoni? Just wouldn't happen. Well, did he bring, therefore, with him a sort of commercial sensibility to? Yeah, the BBC? but also an intellectual sensibility and a, and a a literary sensibility. He had the lot. He was very very good, um, but he. He was a very clever man, Sidney. I mean, he was—he had everything um, as a producer. I, I, I never met him. I'm only saying that on the evidence of the, of the people he got to work for him and uh, what he did. Um, so as we bring this to a conclusion, because I've taken up far too much of your time, yeah, we right, haven't yet know. mentioned um, the very first Doctor Who, who was, you know, at the genesis of the show, William, William. Hartnell. Well, William was—I mean, I got on terribly well with him. Um, I don't know if I ought to tell you this. <laughs> I had been warned that he was difficult. They, they said, look, I think Verity probably said, look, he can be very difficult. Uh, you've got to go carefully. And we were rehearsing at some funny little hall out in Acton. Um, and I'd, it's because I really didn't know any better. At one point, I'd, I was blocking it and saying, well, here, and you go, and can you come in, and don't have to over here, and you know, whatever. And Bill said, came in and said, well, I think we should do this, and I think he should go, and I think I should. And without thinking what I was saying, I had, it wasn't premeditated at all. I said, uh, look, no, Bill, leave all that to me. I said, you've got enough on your plate. I don't want you to worry about anything like that at all. Leave all that to me. Uh, and I'll sort all that, don't worry about that, that will all be sorted and you just concentrate. And there was absolute silence in the room. And I thought, why has everyone gone quiet? And then Bill said, yeah, yes, all right, fine. After that I couldn't put a foot wrong. And it wasn't premeditated, I'd, I'd just done it without thinking. And it could have led to the most awful explosion of who do you think you are, when I was a young director, I was nobody. He could have exploded and said, you know, who do you think I do what I, what I want, you know. But he didn't. He just said, oh, yeah, all right, fine. And then, I mean, literally, he would, did anything I said. And we got along famously. 
but it was it really was pure accident. It wasn't was it that that turning point. Yeah. Well, um, no, I loved I loved the man. I thought he was fine, and that, he was a very very good actor. You've seen Odd Man Out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he's so good in that. Sporting so Life as well. Yes. No, he was a lovely actor. The final thing, which is the awful question, uh, especially as it was six weeks of your life, <laughs> forty nine years ago. What the, there are lots of people who have seen the Keys of Marion several times um, and love Doctor Who, the Doctor Who fans all over the world uh, who might be listening to this. What is your message to the Doctor Who fans? Well, I'm, 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 I'm glad they're there. I, mean, I, I just thank you for, for, for watching it. That's what, well, that's what we all depend on. I mean, if nobody watched our programmes, we wouldn't have earned a living, if you see what I mean. Um, so, no, I, I just think anyone who is... Uh, interested in telly and, it, and not just Doctor Who any watches telly I, I'm just grateful they, they won't watch I mean I'm, I'm not at all to get surprised because it's it's like having a little cinema in your front room you know um, you don't have to go out you can sit at home and watch a movie or whatever but um, no uh, just thank you well thank you because uh, you've given your time you've kindly yeah, had me around pleasure. to your house after an unsolicited phone call pleasure. so thanks for sharing your memories John Gurry I, I hope it's uh, hope it's alright I don't think I've said anything too indiscreet have I? don't think so don't think so John nominated Mind as his charity, so you can donate to them at www.mind.org.uk. I talked to John about all sorts of other aspects of his career, so um, I'd like to release the rest of our interview, perhaps in a separate podcast, but it's um, it's pretty Who-lite. In fact, it's it's almost totally Who-lite. Would that interest you? Do please let us know at podcast at bigfinish.com. Now, up next, I love this sort of thing, especially as I haven't actually done the interview yet as I record this, but there's an actor from Doctor Who, from the Keys of Mariners, who, as far as I'm aware, has never spoken publicly about Doctor Who or his roles in it till now. Good, isn't it? It was 1964, yeah. An unbelievably long time ago, and I'm still alive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, how about that? (laughs) When I was very little, um, there were two things that I I really wanted to be. Um, And I made my mind up about this at a very, very early age. And one was to be an actor, and the other was to be a writer. And best of all, actually, was to be both, so that then I could write stuff and stand on a chair and declaim it, um, and I'm very lucky, um, I guess, because I, I have actually been both, but the theatre was my first love, um, and that's where I worked, I worked in rep theatres all over all over the country, um, and in Guernsey and all over, and in a children's theatre that spent a year 
touring, mostly in Scotland. Um, I was I understudied in Doctor Who, and not sorry, in the Mouse Trap. I understudied in the Mouse Trap for about 15 months. I worked at um, the Mermaid Theatre at Puddle Dock with Bernard Miles and folks. Um, so no, I was I was really into it. <laughs> Um, it was my life. You know, I feel quite guilty about um, contacting you about Doctor Who because you've made quite an impact as a writer about climate change, which when you started... Um... Yeah, well, what happened? Um, as you may know, <laughs> actors are out of work sometimes. Um, and when I was out of work, um, I always got sort of temporary jobs doing this and that. And I ended up working for a voluntary organization right at the very beginning of the environmental movement. It was actually, it was in 1964, and I left it to do the Doctor Who, and then when Doctor Who ended, I went back to it. Um, and that's the way it worked for, for a little while. You know, I'd go away and do an acting job and then come back. Um, but the last theater... I worked in was in Guildford and it burnt down and it's very hard to explain just how traumatic that is if you're an actor I've done I think two plays there we were rehearsing another one and it was overnight you know we performed we'd gone home and I had a costume fitting appointment um, in London at a costumer's and I went there, and when I got there, that's when I found out that there'd been a fire, and I went down to Guildford, and right enough, the place had burnt to the ground. And that was the last theatre I ever worked in. That was the last acting job I ever did. Soon after that, um, the people that I was working for, this voluntary organisation, um, started to get a bit pushy, <laughs> um, and wanted me to, to work full-time. So I started working for them full-time. I gave up acting. Um, and then, just before it began, with a magazine called The Ecologist, um, and I got to know its editor, a chap called Teddy Goldsmith. I, I got to know him quite well. And I went and I started writing for them, and then I, I started working for them. Um, and through that, eventually, I, was, I ended up writing books. And since then, um, I left The Ecologist in 1973. And since then, um, all I've written, are, well, pretty well, all I've written are books. Um, and books, to start with, about the environmental movement, those were the first, that was the first one that I ever wrote. But before very long, after a few years, I was writing about natural history, um, zoology, plants, um, and then increasingly about weather and climate, meteorology and climatology. And this is not kind of proselytizing. This is just because it's absolutely fascinating. Um, and what I was uh, writing about was actually how it all works. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Then I took to another branch that I'm working on just at the minute, which is compiling dictionaries, science dictionaries. And I've done quite a few of them, and, and I'm working on one at the moment. And well, you, so... You, you must have seen a change over the years, because when, 
let's be honest, you, you're, you're writing about something that is hugely, seen as hugely important now. When you started writing about it, it must have been difficult to have people listen to your voice in a way. Well, in a way, but I'd always had an interest. I have to go back now, history, back now into some ancient history because um, before I became an actor, um, I was in the RAF and I flew airplanes for the RAF and you're taught meteorology, not a lot, um, as much as you need to know, I suppose, but it's very important to you, obviously, um, particularly in those days when... Um, you didn't have all the all the electronics that aeroplanes have these days, and you have to know what the weather can do, and you have to understand how weather forecasts are put together and understand what they mean. Um, and so, I'd, I'd, for a long time, I'd, I'd had an interest in, in the atmosphere and what's going on there, um, and the writing about weather sort of crept in. I, I, um, alongside other things, you know, I'd write a book that was about some aspect of, of the natural world and there'd be some climate in it, you know, um, and it sort of grew from there uh, until eventually um, publishers were asking me to write about it um, and write books about, you know, wholly that. And so, uh, I mean, back back in the day, how, how would you... Um entered the acting profession and um uh, and and of course you know we're talking about doctor who that you were in you were in, in it in the very early days before it was yes. the institution that it is today absolutely yes yes and and that was done very differently from the way they do things now you could in those days they recorded everything obviously but you couldn't edit tapes and so it was as though it was done live um, but you could stop the tape while you moved to the other part of the, another part of the set and then carry on. So the tape could stop and start. But if you did, if something went wrong, you just had to keep going. Um, and things could go wrong. You know, um, the monsters that we had in the one that I was in were called woods. Mm. Um, and the poor old woods, they had a very uncomfortable life because they wore um, a wetsuit, which is sort of rubber stuff with this big sort of insect head thing, um, and flippers. They were very fierce. Um, but after a time, in one of studios, you could see the sweat sort of running out through the, the gaps in the costume. Um, it, was, it was very uncomfortable for them. Um, but you just had to keep going. And one of them, arresting a prisoner and dragging him away, tripped over his flipper. But he had to keep going. Yes, that's Peter Stenson, who I, uh, uh, I actually spoke to a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> um, and holds his hand up for the fact that it was him that uh, picked up. <laughs> um, but your because your initiation, you you've actually got a very nice part in the Keys of Mariners. Uh, well, I did, yes. Well, I actually had to because the first time I was one of those ice warriors that died. Mm. But I was able to come back because nobody had seen my face, um, and I had to I had to fall off a cliff, which is done by falling about three feet into kind of crumpled black velvet. So the camera saw me go past, um, but not where I went to, and then they put the sound over it. <laughs> but um, then I could come back as this um, as, as, as this guard fellow. Yeah, and, and you were you were cast by by John Gorry. Do you remember John? John Gorry, yes, I remember him. Yes, 
Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You did other things. You went on to do many other things, of course. Um, I'm not sure that I wasn't in another play that you did for one of the ITV companies. I can't remember. And uh, do you remember William Hartnell, your doctor? Oh, yeah, I remember him very well, yes. Not that I ever got to know him. He was, he was kind of too grand for the likes of us. Uh, <laughs> um, he was a rather quiet, reserved man, um, but perfectly polite. <laughs> but, you know, um, he had a lot to do. He had a lot to contend with. I mean, he created the part, and he was on almost all the time. Um, and so, you know, and as I say, this wasn't done like filming is done now. Well, there's always been done. Um, it was done almost more like a live performance. And so um, he had to concentrate. He had a lot to think about. And so you didn't really get to out and really get to know it. Were you aware that you were a part of a, you know, a burgeoning phenomenon in, in terms of the medium of television? Um, no. No, no, we had no, no, we, I, I had no idea of this at that time, I don't think any of us did. Um, I know when the series ended, we all had, went round to, Betty Lambert was the producer, we, we all went round to her house and there was a party, <laughs> but um, no, I don't think anybody realised just how important it was going to become, how significant it was, or how groundbreaking it was. Um, we had the electronic music, of course. And we had quite complicated sets. Um, I mean, this, a lot of this took place in caves and things like that with rocks made of polystyrene. Um, you know, it, it was quite complicated. It was all done indoors. You couldn't go out, you know, there was no location filming or anything like that. It was all done in the studio. Um, but no, I don't think anybody realized that this was anything more than, you know, a, a children's entertainment. When they showed it, <laughs> when we saw it, um, my daughter, who was quite little then, hid behind the sofa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, she wasn't alone. There you go. <laughs> um, and, and it's obviously I contacted you through uh, your website and you were kind mm. enough to reply. Do you, do you find that Doctor Who is something that people, that, that does crop up in your life quite a lot? <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah, people get in touch with me um, about it. There's a, there's a convention a while back, um, and a nice man ran that out. I didn't go to it. Um, I live somewhere, as you probably know, I'm fairly remote, and um, so it's not very easy for me to um, go to things that are a long way away. But, um, yeah, he sent me photographs of various people, um, and I and asked me to sign a lot of photographs. Um, yeah, this comes up fairly often, yeah. Well, I, I, I guess as, a, as, as an actor... Um, being in Doctor Who always lends you a, a certain immortality. <laughs> I suppose so. In, well, <laughs> in my day, when I, when I was young, um, uh, the more amusing thing, the more, in a way, significant thing, was understudying in the mousetrap. It was kind of like national service for actors. <laughs> um, there was a demonstration once um, of actors demonstrating outside. We want our theatre back um, outside the Ambassador's Theatre. Uh, and I was, that kept me going for about, what, 15 months? Um, I performed twice. It was the best rehearsed performance in London. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> we rehearsed every week. And so in 15 months, two performances. 
that's a lot of rehearsal. <laughs> and and, and which, which part did you understudy in the maestro? I understudied um, the lead, um, the, the detective. The detective, indeed. Yeah, and also the kind of comic character, or Christopher, I think. The oh, comic. the young man. The young, the young man, man yeah, yeah, I did him. And that's the one I played a couple of times. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's, that's another sort of institution, isn't it, the mousetrap? Um, it is. Um, and the company manager at the time, um, a man called Tony Huntley Gordon, um, he was ever, ever such a nice man, but he told me that he'd been there since it started. He'd been going 25 years by then. And he said he remembered after the opening night, which was towards the end of November, he went home to his wife and he said, this will keep us going till Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> 25 years later. Well, and of course, Doctor Who's quite similar in that. And again, well, it is in the same sort of way, except it hasn't kept any one person going that long. No, sure. Uh, What's your opinion of, of, of television now? Yeah, yes, we watch television, obviously. Um, when... I gave up acting. It was very, very painful, and um, I don't think I've been to inside a theatre since. I, I couldn't bear to. It's like that. Um, but no, I watched television. Television, of course, has advanced hugely. Um, in a way, it's not so much fun, but um, and I've not had any contact with it for a very long time. Obviously, um, though. In my, with my writing hat on, I, I, I did, I did actually do a couple of, one of a few documentaries, you know, uh, years and years ago. Um, don't do them these days, much too old. <laughs> ah. But I'm, I'm interested that you said, that you say that giving up acting was, was very painful. Is, is that because it's, um, it, it's not a job, is it? It's a, it's a oh, calling. No. Oh no, oh no, oh no, no. The advice was always, as I'm sure you know, uh, that if you can think of any other way at all of earning a living, then do it. <laughs> um, and if you can't, you only do it because you can't do anything else. And um, it, it, it's your life. You know, it's a way of life. Um, and, yeah, leaving it was actually very traumatic for me in, in many ways, you know, I, I um, yeah. <laughs> it's only fairly recently that I've stopped missing it. Goodness, all these yeah. years later. Yeah, yeah, years and years and years later, yeah, yeah. Um, and once you leave, of course, there's no way back. It's, um, there were repertory companies all over the place. There, were, there was a lot of touring companies, a lot of touring going on. Um, and so, you know, you'd go back to London for a bit and through Spotlight, or you could go, you, you spent your time going around the agents, obviously. But there were reps for you. Where did, we, where did I go? Guernsey, Swansea. Newcastle. My daughter was born in Newcastle. I was in rep there. Um, Tunbridge Wells, Guildford, as I said, all over the country, all over the place. Uh, Bridlington, the summer there. Um, and it was good and it was bad. You know, um, you were doing a different play every week, and so it was very easy to learn sort of very bad acting, very bad habits. Um, but 
at the same time, you've got a huge amount of experience in quite a short time. And it's only, yeah, later on, it became much more difficult to find work. And um, I was out, of, you know, was out quite a bit. I think it's probably much more difficult now. Yes. And you live, as, you, as we've mentioned in the uh, interview, you, you live... Um, remotely, is that is that to do with the weather, or is that what 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 has found? Well, no. Um, I've been in Scotland. My wife is Scottish, and always had a mind to move back to Scotland. And a friend of ours, you know, we thought about this for years. Um, and our kids had left school and so on, so there was nothing really to keep us where we were. And a friend spotted this house, spotted an advertisement for it, so we came up and looked at it and bought it. Um, and it probably got the nicest view in Britain, actually. <laughs> it, it is a spectacularly beautiful place. Um, I look out over a narrow stretch of sea towards the northern end of the Isle of Butte. You can see on a clear day, not today, it's a bit hazy, but the, the mountains of Arran in the distance, they're about 25 miles away. Um, but it's um, a bit of a pain to get to. <laughs> Our nearest town is 25 miles away, and a lot of it along single-track roads. Uh, which is indeed why we're doing this over Skype, rather than me popping around for tea. Well, it is. You'd be most welcome, but um, it's, it's quite a long way. It's quite a long way. Um, you get used to going on ferries to get most anywhere. We have a half-hour ferry journey to, our den to get to our dentist. Um, it's, a, again, a way of life. Um, but it is extraordinarily beautiful. Uh, people are enjoying these um, podcasts that uh, I'm doing about Doctor Who, but they are a free internet resource. Um, yes. So as a result of them being free, I ask my victims, of which you are the latest, to nominate uh, a charity so that if the people that have downloaded this for free have enjoyed it, um, if they could donate to a charity of your choice, um, that would be nice. I would choose the Red Cross. The Red Cross does amazing work for people who are in distress, serious distress. Um, they're very brave. They go to places that other people wouldn't go to. Oh, um, they don't give up. They're very good. It's a very good organization, and I'd, 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 I'd support that. I think that's an excellent cause. And um, do you have a message... I mean, you, you recorded it nearly 50 years ago, and you very kindly agreed to talk about it all those years later, um, and, and it is of genuine interest to, to the listening Doctor Who fans out there. So do you have a message for Doctor Who fans on its, on its 50th birthday? On its 50th birthday, Doctor Who altered my life in, in quite significant ways, and it's, it's had a profound effect on millions and millions of people um, who are much more important than I am and so my message to people I guess is just keep on enjoying it it's fun well thank you very much for your time Michael I do appreciate you uh, getting back to me and uh, and agreeing to talk well, thanks. Uh, you're welcome I'm sure a small part of your life from 50 years ago <laughs> indeed 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 yep. well, take care and thank you very much indeed Okay, cheers. Thanks. Cheers, Michael. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye.
Michael's charity was the Red Cross, who you can find at www.redcross.org.uk. So that's Red Cross and Mind and Cancer and the YMCA. If you think that's a lot of charities, it has been a very long podcast. So I'll briefly plug the next one, uh, which also takes us back to the Hartnell era and a man who worked on hundreds of episodes and was credited on none. And also a bonus interview uh, with a friend of his who worked on six episodes and was credited on none. And they were from the Troughton era. So uh, a bevy was had with this bevy of gentlemen uh, in the next somewhat convivial Toby Haydokes who's round. But in the meantime, from this Keys of Marinus special... Farewell. My thanks to Anthony Keach and Steve Hall for their assistance with this podcast. Thanks, gents. Couldn't have done it without you. By being in a place, you have an impact. Every little action has a consequence. Usually they're swept away, smoothed over, but sometimes you really can change history, and that's dangerous. Quincy de Berlin's, isn't it? Nightlife, the boys, the politics? Science. My grandfather wanted to see the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute. Grandfather spun around, catching my eye as he disappeared into the car. We need to call the police. Are you sure? I'd worry about awkward questions if I were you. Foreigner, new in town, rolling in money. Straight in there with top scientists speaking suspiciously good German. Minutes later, a botched kidnap of their number one man. I'd wager they're more likely to see you as a problem than offer a solution. You don't want me dead. You wouldn't be so keen to drug me if you did. You want me alive. <laughs> True, but I'm quite happy to hurt you to get my way. A great deal if need be. I've bought more gold, Herr Strittmatter. I need your help. 